KXSF LP, San Francisco, 102.5 FM, the frequency uplift in the house, and thanks to our frequency partners, KSFP, San Francisco Public Press, for holding it down for the last six hours. And now you have us, KXSF, San Francisco Community Radio, in the house, and uh, we're excited today with our having our second Sunday Poet coming through momentarily by the miracle of Zoom. James Cagney, the uh, author of Martian, The Saint of Loneliness, as well as some other amazing work, which we'll get into and talk about. This past week, we lost an amazing influence for lots of folks. And I think we'll start off the set with this and then into the Poets playlist. And we'll get James on the line. This is Gal Costa from Brazil, Rise in Power, Pontos de Luz. Sim 
Writing for KXSF comes from City Beer, a family-owned community gathering spot to sip a fresh draft while mingling with friends old and new. Visit our new home at 853 Valencia Street, where we offer a well-curated selection of beer, wine, and cider, both to enjoy on-site or take home. There's plenty of seating and an outdoor parklet, all in the heart of the mission. So visit City Beer, a San Francisco fixture since 2006, now located at 853 Valencia Street between 19th and 20th. And thank you, City Beer, and thank you all for tuning in to KXSFLP San Francisco. This is Ofra Haza. I'm, I'm Ninalu, meaning if the doors are locked, stay tuned for James Cagney, poet, an interview and reading. Well, thank you so much. Sorry for the minute.
And uh, that was Ofra Hazar, uh, Im Nin Alu, a uh, incredible uh, old, well, old. We were just reminiscing on the line about this beautiful track, a remixed Yemeni, Yemeni uh, traditional spiritual song. I did my little bit of research. Um, originally by Rabbi Shalom Shabazi, who died in 1720. It means if the doors are locked, Ofra herself passed on. In 2000, at age 42, known as a bridging artist, bringing Mizrahi culture into popular music in Israel. And I, I, I love an opportunity to dig out that vinyl. It was so beautiful, um, such a beautiful track. I am honored and blessed to have uh, with me on air um, Mr. James Cagney, whose sophomore book, Martian, The Saint of Loneliness, is now out on Nomadic Tr Press. Um, this book won a 2021 James Laughlin Award from the American Academy of Poets, um, a poetry collection probing feelings of alienation and rage in the face of, you know, what, <laughs> what is our current situation. Also the author of Black Steel Magnolias in the Hour of Chaos Theory, a winner of the 2019 Penn Oakland Josephine Miles Award, and a, a, a Cav, I think I'm saying this right, Cav Canem Fellow. Uh, James, welcome. Tell us. You there with me? Oops, no, you're not. Here we are. Yes, sir. Hey, hey, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you have a very early day working man that you are. So, oh, it's it's all good. It's all good. It's 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 good. It's a good sacrifice to be up and chat with. Thank you. Thank you for coming through. So, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, uh, what? Yeah, again, just a beautiful track from back in 1988, remixing this Yemeni traditional song. Tell us a little bit about what that song means for you. For for me, it it, it snuck in because um, I initially discovered that at, because it was a sample used by uh, Eric B. and Rakim uh, for their very, very first single, uh, the 12-inch version for Paid in Full. Um, and they used a little bit of her vocal for that chorus um, as kind of like this ghostly like line that goes through this really you know intense uh, uh, hip hop uh, uh, beat, yeah. and then eventually what I began to do is look for you know sample origins and and where a lot of the hip hop songs that I'd grown up with where they were pulling a lot of the samples that they had uh, garnered and that was one of the original tracks that i discovered um while i was digging around because i uh, uh, beyond them i had never heard of it and um and was beautifully beautifully surprised by it. point of fact i think some years after eric b and rakim that thing actually did make it to terrestrial radio here in america and, and i kind of feel like it it charted unless i'm unless i'm thinking just a just as I actually rather heard it as a UK import or something like that, yeah, but I no, feel like art years. Yeah, it definitely made it made it made it here and 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 in the eighties. And I don't maybe early nineties. I don't remember now, but yeah. And I totally understand it from making for for charting because ultimately, I guess the lyrically, it's it's a basically a prayer song for for God. So I'm like, okay, well, why not? Right there, you go. <laughs> of course, of course, ultimately, something like that would you know become like massively. Uh, massively popular worldwide yeah. and it's like and it's and i'm drawn to it as much as as you say because of the extraordinary co uh, quality of her voice um because certainly i i don't follow the words but there is so but there is something within 
the melody and something within the presentation that she does as she delivers that song mm-hmm. that is incredibly moving. And, and it almost doesn't really need, I don't really need like the actual words or understanding of the, of what it is she's saying, because you can actually somehow feel it oh, yeah. because in a sense, her voice almost comes off as, as kind of like this instrument um, that is just played kind of gorgeously. And, um, and I find it incredibly, incredibly moving for ways I probably will never fully understand. Mm. So I, you know, I, I always love to hear about inspirations. That's part of the the um, the, the the desire to have, you know, guests and poets come through and tell me their musical um, their musical hits in a way, right? And and what really inspired. So was was hip hop originally like you talking about Eric B and Rakim and doing that sample search, which is such is so much fun. I mean, I I, I feel you on that one. But yeah, is that was was hip hop kind of a, a genesis of of inspiration for you or how did you come to writing? Oh, um, I, I guess those are, those are almost two different roads. I, I, I looking at myself, I kind of like wish that I was far more inspired by music than, um, than, than I even would give myself credit for, uh, because, because I guess I just sort of am old enough to have seen hip hop be born, I suppose. But, um, I, I came to writing, um, uh, differently i i guess um i didn't even recognize how much writing meant to me as a as a youth i I just sort of took it for granted um as like this as as kind of like this thing i could do i didn't even consider it a gift i just Mm. uh um writing to me was just like a was like a tool that was sort of available it's it's sort of like as i was going through school there there really for me and my parents was no concern as to whether i was going to you know pass uh english or or a creative writing class or whatever like that or even you know um what do you call it uh like a government class where i had to turn in essays because anything that was sort of writing uh related um i had a strange facility for um Mm -hmm. i you know I, i ended up getting into a junior high school drama class and i mean drama um club rather like this after school meeting thing and as fate would have it i turned out to be the only person that would come to this uh that would come to that drama club that was run by one of the um uh one of the uh, associates at the school um and so one of the things that he introduced me to is um is the uh script format um, and it turned out that he ended up having some printouts of skit of of skits that were used in the Carol Burnett show, ah. um, and he shared uh, like copies of some of the you know skits at the very least to sort of show me what a small sort of skit looked like and even what that format looked like on on page. Mm. So you know it's like it was I was looking at stuff like that as a as a junior high school kid. Um, I was practicing sort of like creating my own stories and whatnot as a junior high school and an elementary school kid because I, I was very inspired by um, reruns of Alfred Hitchcock and The Twilight Zone. So those kind of like anthology series and shows were very inspiring to me for 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 little storytelling purposes. So mm. as a child, I'm always 
very interested in writing somehow and um, and practicing, even though I'm I'm not fully understanding that what I'm practicing is a career, that what I'm practicing for is something that I was going to do for the rest of my life. I just yeah. sort of did it because um, it was interesting and, and it did garnered my curiosity. <laughs> I had no idea it was going to be a, a thing that professional people mm-hmm. do or that I would even still be doing as a middle-aged man. Right on. So our, our, how did how did the poetry begin? How did you take your you know start start to start yeah. your 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 really your clearly your vocation in the in the craft of poetry? Um I didn't and I'm talking about you know discovering writing in junior high school right. and and uh, high school and stuff like that, but to be honest, back at that point no one really introduced the idea of poetry to me in a way that meant anything. I'm, I'm pretty sure I knew who Langston Hughes was, but mm. I don't think Langston's presence meant anything or, or that I was even impressed with any of those poems. I knew who Emily Dickinson was, I'm pretty sure. Mm. Um, but it was like, I, what did poetry mean to me or my family? You know, mm. and nobody really opened any door of understanding to me about what any of that was. Mm. So, but um, go on. Yeah. And then I was just, I was just going to say, um, eventually, what happened? Um, uh, because I was doing other kind of writing, short stories and, and stuff like that. A friend of mine invited me to um, to a party where I had to present, so where I had to bring something, mm-hmm. um, you know. And his girlfriend at the time ended up composing a dance, and and myself, I was still trying to write little short stories or whatever. So I brought this short story to this party um and he ended up telling his mother about this story that i shared the previous night at the time he had relocated from berkeley to los angeles and his mom who had raised him by herself and was a single mom she sent a message to me through him um about hey you know, um, look, I end up doing a lot of poetry through, you know, San Francisco and Berkeley and stuff. This, she sent me a chapbook through him and was like, you know, uh, my son tells me that you're a you're a really good writer. You should join me for uh, for a poetry event or so. Hmm. And um, and I reached out to her and and she uh, a, a woman named uh, Joanna was like a poet from uh, out of uh, New York and stuff like that. And she did know some things and, and basically took me up as like a surrogate son since, um, since he had sort of uh, flown the coop and, and had gone to LA to pursue his own sort of career. And she was like a single mom uh, to an only, to a single child, as it were. I was like a sing- a, uh, an only child to my mother. Um, mm-hmm. So, she just sort of like borrowed me as a as a kid, if you will. Nice. Um, ended up taking me around to the uh, to various open mics at the uh, at the East Bay, and it was through hanging out with her um, uh, that I even discovered or knew what or realized what poetry was because um, I didn't know about the open mic cafe scene, and she took me to like a lot of different places through uh, downtown Berkeley uh, and uh, Oakland and San Francisco and just gradually introduced me to more. And, and you know, and, and it made me write. It made the stuff that I was hearing from from these people at the open mics was uh, was curious and inspiring to me because I, what little I did know about poetry, I certainly didn't realize you could use 
poetry to talk about your life. Mm-hmm. I, I thought poetry was, you know, supposed to be for, uh, was, was words dis- destined to, you know, sunrises and raccoons and rivers. Right. I didn't realize or think that you can actually use poetry to talk about um, yourself, to talk about your issues, to, mm-hmm. to talk about your life or, or whatnot. Um, and it was just sort of, I always considered myself learning poetry as on the job training. Because certainly I, I learned how to do it from listening to a lot of older people um, uh, and, and certainly then people of my own age sort of experiment and try this version of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so basically that's what it was. I, I, I discovered it and began to practice it through sort of the the open mic scene, through what, what I guess they would invariably label as a spoken word. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then listening to them made me go back and start looking at older written poets, um, made me go back to the library and check out books and, and haunt libraries and stuff like that, just to see what poetry was or what it even looked like or what it could do. Mm-hmm. And, and it was really, truly, honestly, through Joanna and through the open mic scene at the, in Berkeley and stuff like that, that made me into a poet and, and researching and libraries just to see what it was mm. um refined what it was i was i was beginning to do well your your first and and previous work black steel magnolias in the hour of chaos theory and, and i just have to interject what an amazing title in part musical questions were like there's a title that brings together dolly parton public enemy and maybe edward lawrence of mit you know sure. at, at last right but <laughs> That's brilliant, man. But, um, you know, to quote the description on the book, it's like you're using dreams, blues, a chorus of voices to examine the complexities of intimacy for yourself, an adopted person finding balance between two families. And it feels like there's a lot of I was rereading some of that recently and a lot of of your younger voice and 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 sort of doing that. Is that first collection in a way a sort of process of catharsis for you coming to terms? And how was it to to do that process that you talked about to really understand that you could use poetry to mine those memories and to move through things and express things? That process was for me revolutionary because uh, it sort of validated my experience and created a a route of conversation that i didn't know i needed to have um because uh you know as i was i because you know as i found i was adopted at like a at 19 there was it, it was very sort of i guess confusing and weird for me to try to figure out then what did that mean for me personally what did that mean for me as a as a man as a as a son to the parents that raised me and um just just what did that process have to entail there was a lot of questions for me i hadn't worked out or um figured out and i guess that process of working out answers came in in writing um and in basically over the years writing and uh writing out what was happening to me writing out what my experiences were and and what my feelings were there wasn't a point of me sitting down thinking i'm going to write a book Mm. of poems about this experience it was that book basically came together because of a bunch of years of of just sort of 
having these experiences or realizations and and having a poem come out of it. And finally, at the end of uh, of a number of years of doing that, and, and by the time Nomadic went live in Oakland and was starting to to hunt for writers and uh, poets to begin to publish. Um, only really at the tail end of that did I look back and recognize that I had a lot of work that was all under this umbrella and theme and story of what I felt like it growing up and how I felt as well, sort of rectifying um, my life as, a, as an adoptee, I, I guess. Um, and I, and when the opportunity came to, to, to submit an attempt to publish a book, I guess my thought was, I don't want to use this opportunity to just sort of throw it away. I, I should use this opportunity to introduce myself. Um, I, I, I felt like maybe there would never be another book that I will ever get an opportunity to publish. And, and I guess I took the route that, uh, that, Toni Morrison once spoke of, she was, I guess there was a quote where she said, uh, um, you know, just write the book that you want to see in the world. And, and I feel like when my story was was real to me, I, I, I wanted to have some sort of conversation or communication mm -hmm. about what I was feeling, about what this meant for me and what this meant for family. And there wasn't anything for me to turn to or read or anyone for me to talk to. You know, this sort of revelation was incredibly isolating and, and there was no resource for me to utilize um, to help me figure anything out. Mm. Um, all of the figuring out of anything had to come with just sitting alone in, uh, in libraries or whatnot and, and after school or whatnot, just writing and, and trying to determine how to say anything or what it was that I wanted to say. And I guess going to those poetry readings provided me a unique spoken voice. Mm. You know, it's like they illustrated for me how to do something passionate, how to do something um, um, personal, mm -hmm. um, and how to write your way through a situation. Mm. Um, because I'm listening to a lot of people do a, a wide variety of things, and, and all that is triggering and inspiring to me to uh, to to try my hand at really saying something um, that that meant something to me mm -hmm. um, and hopefully be heard and received by an audience as you, you know, would be received by a, uh, by, you know, uh, 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 something, somebody catching you mm -hmm. if you fell. Yeah. You know I mean, well, you had a community of poets there to, to, give you feedback and to hear that and at least to be a witness which is really what that process of you know catharsis and moving through things and finding your expression your identity is is part of you need a witness right absolutely that that's a key word that's the key word i was thinking of trying to think of a uh, witness because those folks on those various open mics and everywhere um i ended up going they were witnesses. They were reliable, loyal witnesses to me. And that was what gave me the sort of permission to be able to write personally and closely and truthfully. Mm. Um, because I felt like wherever I was, those rooms were going to actually have the heart to hold me, I guess. Mm, beautiful. Well, I wonder if I could ask you to read 
what whatever poem you would desire from the beautiful collection black steel magnolias in the hour of chaos theory and i just want to take the second to say again you're listening to kxsflp san francisco at 102.5 fm the second sunday's poet james cagney in the house author of the aforementioned collection that we've been talking about as well as his second book the brilliant martian saint of loneliness but yeah james could you poet's choice what, what? sure i i could i could do this one which a friend of mine um a poet delana dameron uh us uh, uh she and i were chatting um online after after one of our kave Khanum summers um i suppose and um in our conversation she once asked me what happened to the child that i once was mm -hmm. um did that child you know what became of that child that I once was? Is it, is it still sort of like within me, or or you know has it has it truly matured and moved on or whatnot? And I guess because of my particular story, um, I I had to really think about that, and and this was the answer that I ended up coming up with. This is called Incubators of the Damned. Was there ever a child here? Conceived by loneliness and booze, when love was lost to us, brewed in the awful solitary of a motel womb, growing like a weed on the white tongue of an alcoholic's promise? Was there ever a child here? For these hand-me-downs of neuroses who understood our need for whiskey, for madness, who understood our need for a God to cuss and pray to in equal measure? Was there ever a child here in the scene between recipe and memory collage from the spare parts of whip ancestors hitchhiking on texas highways with open wound sunsets riding shotgun strolling hungry along riverbanks moaning their philosophy of flies masturbating in the unique silence of a loveless house but this child but this child when does life begin? To whom does life belong? When does a mother have the right to say no? Whose child is this? Who claims this child? Was there ever a child here to take care of us? As we awoke saluting death from our throats, praying to true blackness and colored ribbons of mucus long as choir robes, stranded on warm schoolyard benches where even kids ridiculed for being poor dare not approach, printed on cartons recalled for undrinkable milk, squirming and kicking in an unclaimed crib, no number, placed here alone as if by miracle. Mm. That's powerful. I mean, what what uh, what what an incredible story is is your raising up and coming to terms with your identity, and what a beautiful what a beautiful piece of work that is. Thank you. And thank you. Um, thank. You. Yeah, yeah, beautiful work. I mean, it, it's it's so um, striking to me again. You're you're the voice of of the child and the and the young man as you come to try to come to terms with your identity and your masculinity and all the struggles that, that young men in our society deal with and especially challenged, you know, uh, 
And it seemed like, you know, listening to, to the other poets that I was hearing um, sort of encouraged me to, to do a very unique sort of honesty. Mm. Um, uh, to, to, they encouraged me just by listening to them. They gave me a weird sort of permission to be as truthful as possible. I think I, maybe there was some wild expectations of how I thought a res- audience would respond to me or my work. And I guess when they didn't quite meet what my vision was, that sort of encouraged me to just sort of throttle up and mm. be like, well, you know, maybe, maybe if I really do just open up and say whatever is just here on the tip of my, um, on the tip of my heart, um, mm. if I just do it truthfully and, and cleanly, um, you know, it's, it's sort of like, it, it just, it, it felt empowering mm-hmm. in a, in a strange way because I, I recognized nobody could truly stop me from, um, from taking these three moments, three minutes, um, and, uh, and telling the truth. Um, that was, uh, incredibly empowering, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's a, a powerful fo- fo- poem and the whole book as its progression into your dealing with uh, you know understanding your your roots and being reintroduced to your family and what did that mean and and progressing through to you know you having to help care for the the deaths of your adopted parents and uh, all that you know quite a quite a legacy and quite a story that you're contending with there yeah and and i guess since since technically um this is my hour um i suppose uh absolutely if, if you if you don't mind i you've you've made me realize i'd like to read the uh the two father poems in the uh in the context of the book absolutely uh, like this would be like a really good opportunity to to say that that at one point i i felt like i needed to write a poem about my father um and i did that Truly, I, I did that several times, but one of the, the, the poem in question I wanted to share is the one that I, I wrote after he died. Um, and this poem was called Requiem. Shut down the highway. There's nothing up ahead. The catfish have stopped biting. The great man is dead. Board up the liquor stores. Hide the guns under the, under the bed. Old river has run dry. The great man is dead. Jump out the back window. Your shirt quickly shed. Hit the ground running. The great man is dead. Gamble your last check. The children don't need bread. The cupboard will remain bare this year. The great man is dead. A fight breaks in the bar. Broken glass and hot lead. Fire one off for cowboy. The great man is dead. Mama dances alone. An old 45 plays in her head. Love is now rationed. The great man is dead. This trail leads nowhere. In whose footsteps shall we tread? Fill up that hole, boy. The great man is dead. And as much as I dig the sort of rhythm in that poem, it's it's also interesting to me how many stories, how much memory um, I had been told and soaked up uh, from my father that ended up going into that poem. And the reason I just thought of that is because um, uh, because I realized 
when I turned towards purposefully being a poet and purposefully writing poetry and realizing the amount of poems that I had been writing both about myself and, and my mom and, and stuff like that, I felt like I needed to address the, um, the other elephant in the room, mm. the biological father here whom I never ever met. Mm -hmm. um, uh, he was someone that I heard about almost as a legend uh, it turns out that he died of uh, cancer while technically I was in high school and several years before anybody would tell me I was adopted anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so it's sort of like I felt like I needed to purposefully find a way to address and speak to him. Um, so I wrote uh, a poem for him called Open Letter to Henry. And it's this poem. Mm -hmm. It is so strange the photograph I was given of you because the man in it is me and not me. It is me in costume. It is me at a distance squinted into focus. Everything I do not know about myself has been buried with you. As I settle into a man I do not know, I've become a mystery to myself. How many times have I laughed, coughed, whispered, heard your voice echoing through me? How many times have I missed you waving back at me from behind every mirror while I shaved, washed my hands, cut my hair? How many times have you touched me with my own hand? My inheritance probably lies in habits that annoy me the most. The sound I make clearing my throat, the broad toss of my chest when I walk, or the desolate silence we shared in our heads, in our empty rooms, in our isolated youth. How many times have we been so alone we overlooked one another standing as close as any man can to his own shadow. That's powerful. Thank you, James, for reading those two. Brilliant. Thank you, Bob. So I, I was interesting because I went through and I was like, oh, maybe I should. I, I uh, felt that, you know, as, as someone who also has, you know, struggled with that sense of masculinity and dealing with paternity. And, um, and I, I was really also struck by um, the amazing language which I assume is for Henry, compare your childhood to how your father handled catfish, which is like such an mm. incredible book. That's an incredible poem, I have to say. One of my favorites in the book. Sure. Uh, but me... I, if you want to read it, that'd be lovely, but you don't have to. I just wanted to say it was an interesting thing because there's all the stuff of legend in that poem, you know, sort of the... Uh, the... the stuff of, of legend how um how how he handled the catfish how he you know how we deal with our yeah uh, those those stories and and all of that sure well um well uh here uh here to let the audience into that is uh is the poem um <laughs> excellent let's do compare that. your hood to how your father handled catfish um one Night digging with shovels of light, the aroused orgy of, or, orgy of earthworms churn in the black cake flesh beneath my father's benediction of beer, 
a holy transformative act offered these creatures busy stretch crawling through our fingers like drunks rolling home two tolerate the brisk flies munching your ears at the river the dervish ecstasies of their black seed bodies stumbling through the air their hot electric praise song psalm for the spiked jewelry of the river holy ghost dancing in my father's palm like fresh like a fresh bathed infant and shining like reno money three toss the river's perfumed bounty into an igloo cooler a crib for purgatory's eggless black sperm to run infinite loops until dizzy and confused the mad gasping of the largest one smooth as a boxer's bicep paraded through a witness of neighborhood drunks as if prom king, how they all tearfully confess their preferences to old crow over blessed water, how every living thing is saved until baited by sin and tossed into the tanks of hell. Four, hold down the leathery armored samurai, delirious with color, swatting away sunlight with its church fan tail. Peel the skin down like stockings for the buttery musculature beneath. It's cologne close to rain. Click open the coin purse of its belly. Boil a bath of baby oil while dusting the baby in a vestment of spices. Align a plate with the wet gold leaves of their palm hot bodies. Open your mouth as if to offer grace, but say nothing such amazing imagery thank you for indulging me with that in reading really beautiful really beautiful work of course so i was I, maybe moving on um i wanted to talk a little bit about martian i mean in a way here's here's the the poem of uh, or the the work in the first book of of i don't know about resolving childhood but sort of dealing and understanding and, and understanding that sense of alienation that sense of being aloneness in the world um you know that we all that we all share sort of in our depths um so in martian it feels like that personal alienation the personal examination has come into the bigger world of of, of institutional racism of the uprisings of 2020 of all those things uh, you know the the dealing with that adult world um can, yeah. Maybe, yeah. yeah. So, you know, maybe t tell me a little bit about the work and the context for that second book. I also was reading your amazing contribution to the painting in the streets that captured the work of uh, lots of artists who who did the storefront, um, you know, hoarding murals there and uh, painting the streets. Oakland uprising in the time of rebellion. Your poem, Flames of Genesis. But. You know, tell but first maybe tell me a little bit about your the context of creating Martian and the 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 powerful the powerful work there. Truthfully, I um, I in a lot of ways I feel like I I didn't actually truly write this book that it actually wrote me um that it 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 insisted on um developing through me some sort of way as opposed to me reaching out some kind of way 
Um, and I and I say that because in a lot of instances, there were a lot of there were a couple of poems that I never really wanted to um, to write within that book. Um, not because for any pointable reason, but more like I felt like first I felt like a lot of the issues that were going on today um, have been going on for a while. And I felt like I had written a lot of those poems before under different names and titles um, 20 years ago after after Rodney King, um, after uh, um, after a, a, a lot of uh, a, uh, other you know problems and 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 things like that um and I felt sort of bullied into writing this book by what I was seeing in um the, the what I was seeing over the course of 2020 yeah. and uh and basically kind of like how I was feeling leading up to uh leading up to that with the uh with you know with the last election and so like that um, and, and on top of that, um, there also were a lot of poems that I had that all seemed to be, that all seemed to be just about a, a kind of loneliness that all seemed to be this from the point of view of a singular, uh, viewpoint of being like, I, I I don't know how to I don't really know how to say this I you know because it's like whatever it is that I've had to to emotionally deal with or swim through or get through or 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 deal with or accept um, over the course of my life I've kind of had to do that and work that out for myself alone mm-hmm. you know there was no sort of like beer buddies that I had that I could pour a lot of this material out for and to. Um, uh, there was no real consistent place or girlfriends or, or anything I could, like that I could go to who would like be a repository for my story, who even actually even cared as to what I was feeling or what I was going through um, with these transitions. Um, whatever my emotional buildup was, um, I had to work that out for myself. And the only place to really truly do that was um, was on the page, and and I and and I guess that book sort of assembled out of that frustration and sense of isolation. The idea that you know that I'm feeling all of these incredible things, both these awkward things and and even you know these moments of of great love or passion or feeling, and there's no place for me to turn and share this stuff. You know, outside of just being able to stand on stage somewhere and and recite something in my life, you know, um, there really wasn't anyone that I could actually turn to that would receive me, that would hold me. There was no, when I would come back um, to the Bay Area from from hanging out with my biological family after my adoptive family was, was sort of like dead when I would come back to the East Bay to sort of pick up mail or, or whatever's like that, I, there, there was no place for me to go. There was nobody for me to meet to just sort of like check in, you know, it's like whatever that process was, was something I had to do for myself. And this book sort of really develops 
in that way it was kind of like if i was the oyster this was the pearl that develops with me trying to expel a, a coin of sand or something that was irritating me that i could not get no help with to um to liberate you know this was this my self-made tumor that um that i had to uh to deal with and um and expel some sort of way so so in a, in a lot of ways, I, I looked at the first book, Black Steel Magnolias in the Hour of Chaos series, as who I was, who I am. Mm -hmm. And I guess I look at 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 Martian as to as as far as like what I can do as a as a writer or what it is that I've learned all of those years sitting in audience to all of those poets and and sitting in audience to all of those books in the library and, and stuff. Um, that this that this book seems like what I've sort of developed and and what I feel like is my strength as a as a poet. Um, if the if that first book was just sort of like an introductory card, mm -hmm. um, you know um, who I was in the first place. Um, so this is basically who I am and what I can do, I guess, with um, with that with that energy of uh, of, of frustration, with that energy of. Of just wanting to sort something out, mm. I uh, guess. Well, it's it's an incredible work and an incredible progression from the really intense political poems of the around the 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 all the the police killings and the the uprisings of 2020, and then um, you know the beginning though with an incredible uh, invocation to an ancestor figure, and you know that 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 poem strikes me as does so many but then progressing into as you're talking about confronting loneliness and confronting that sense of being being alone um but i do i have to i have to take a little break here if you if you bear with me i need to say uh say a little spot and we'll be right back maybe uh, uh do you have another maybe 15 minutes we'll pass the hour absolutely, absolutely. do okay. you think all right so uh, here we go, uh, doing some thanks and gratitude to uh, to this underwriter. Here we go. Underwriting for KXSF comes from Noise, a record shop located in the Richmond district between 39th and 40th Avenue, specializing in local bands, artists, and music producers. Contact them, calling 415-702-6006, or email them at noisemusicsf at gmail.com. Thanks to Noise for supporting San Francisco Community Radio KXSF. And again, we're back. This is KXSF LP San Francisco, 102.5 FM, streaming at the World Wide Web at kxsf.fm. It's uh, 10.58, just shy of 11 o'clock, so that might as well pass for our hour on the hour uh, call out there and i'm in conversation and uh we're blessed to have some powerful readings from james cagney poet uh, the author of the second his second collection of poems just out on nomadic press martian the saint of loneliness um and we were just talking about the context of that work i wonder james if again poet's choice if you could um maybe read something from martian for us you uh, very kindly pointed to the uh, first poem in the book, which which uh, you described as an invocation, and which absolutely is an invocation. It's um it's it's uh it's based on a work of art that is um, Googleable, 
Um, it, it was a work of art by this artist, uh, Mary Sabande, um, who was a South African um, artist. Uh, and I interacted with her work at Moad uh, one year. And there was, a, there was this one piece that I thought was quite beautiful and striking called Her Majesty Queen Sophie. And, um, and at the time I was uh, asked to do some responsive poems to pieces of art that were that were there at Moad, and I chose that piece and and saw it and processed that image as God. Um, and it turns out, um, as this book came together, that image, that God, seemed to be a good um, um, model to sort of look over the book and to start the book with, because uh, the poem to me almost feels sort of like a prayer like. I guess. So this is the poem. Her Majesty Queen Sophie, ordained beneath a halo of imperial elements, created herself from herself. Every particle, hair, thread in phototropic dance, her aura of elemental beads and bracelets, feathered, lured, baited with lavender, right eye, sun, left eye moon, third eye Horus, attuned, atoned, a crystal microphone, a golden triangle sacred and immortal, her rainforest of locks, power lines, transmitting spirit, gospel mouth seeding black pudding earth with fertile ovulations, her first praise song, a rainbowing sail unfolding midair, colors from her throat ripening into their own weight and logic. Her Majesty Queen Sophie did not bother with Adam or Eve, instead roasted a root ball that opened steaming into family, the poured foundation to a pyramid of divinity. Her Majesty Queen Sophie had a premonition. She saw a fatally wounded country, headless, hemorrhaging multitudes, chained for sale, cutting swaths through the desert, a collapsing landscape trembling with greed. She saw the silky fabric of the ocean, fevered, jellied with blood, chanting unfinished prayers in its foaming mouth. She saw a shaman toss a murmuration of Sankofa birds towards a chalkboard sky, becoming notes on sheets of sacred vapor only God could read. She saw a flotilla of vessels like wedding cakes, bloated with spectral bridegrooms, as death offered its ceremonial benediction before jumping its own broom. Her Majesty Queen Sophie screamed livid about the future. She saw land more valued than the orphaned people on it. She wept, there is no appropriate trade for any dead then watched ships stumble drunk through the fog towards a land of fevered infants screaming in black bassinets behind a crib wall of bones. She stepped forward after them as planets went retrograde, bowing like soldiers. Crossing the threshold of the ocean, she spread her apron beneath an armada of ships, shedding its dead weight of shadows in ribbons of crimson bubbles. Imagine a school of volcanic sparks too hot to evaporate in the gelatinous atmosphere in the Atlantic. Come elements, come assemble. 
Let this day turn on divine behavior, she says, waving her apron scener beneath spirits, shaking off their debt to life, bodies falling in spent casings. She flung them up into the blue-black canopy of space. Elevated spirits crocheted into the digital graph of eternity. A convoy of the disappeared assumed into a corona of stars. This, a version of corrective rapture, rapture with purpose at history's altar, ending in drones of kente cloth kofis as an asteroid field, each a heart, a hearth, an ancestral campfire left burning on the porch to guide kinfolks home. I, I love that poem. That is a, such an incredible invocation and, and taking in, you know, our, our lives and our situations and, and looking to the future. Thank you for that, Bob. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. Um, so it, it was really intriguing to me that, you know, then diving into some political works, but moving through and into, again, examining uh, in, the I think, the last sections of the book, which I actually sadly left somewhere today so i don't can't leaf back at it but um some beautiful work uh, you know dealing with your sort of again profoundly into those existential uh and the realms of relationships and existential kind of um isolation that you've you've talked about as being part of this um the background of this book um Tell us a little bit about that sense, and there's an amazing what I what also sort of bookended with the incredible and really juicy and in some ways kind of lovely metaphoric language that you use in the two poems, Martian and that introductory poem that precedes it. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Is it because what what I really loved there was almost a, a great. Uh, the David Bowie image kind of came to mind of, you know, you're using all these great uh, images about, about uh, the future and about space travel and being, you know, looking back at the earth. However, it's deeply about, you know, touch and about being lonely and about trying to, you know, wanting that and understanding that we all, we all, but you know, here I am personally feeling this experience. You know, I, I guess um, I, I, I commune a lot, I guess, you know, just personally yeah. with, um, with painters, oh, yeah. with, with people that, that, are, that are genuine, you know, visual artists or whatnot. And, you know, when you ask me about that, the, the thing that I think about that poem is, is, is it, was, it was actually, it assembled itself in a strange way through boredom yeah. because um, I, I found some poem online a bunch of years ago while I was at work and I really admired the, uh, the shape of it. Cause it was just sort of like this prose poem of these, um, of these couplets. And I'd never, and I, I guess I, I wanted to do a lot of things. I wanted to push myself as a poet to engage form more yeah. um, I wanted to push myself as a poet to um, to engage what a lot of the po poets were doing in in 
and creating a, a really awesome layout for for their poems on on the page or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was thinking about that, and plus on top of that, I was very bored with my own language. I knew what my habits were. Um, I knew the the imagery that I liked to use. I found myself sometimes I would sometimes when I'm editing poems or or reading over my own stuff, sometimes I feel like I'm I'm saying the exact sort of I'm using the same images over and over again because I because I like them, I guess. And um uh I just kept wanting to push myself to go farther. You know, and it's really hard, I guess, in self-schooling to just sort of figure out how to to push yourself past your own comfort level. You know, it's like, I, I guess to say, try to say cl- more clear, I knew what my habits were and I knew what my limits were and I wanted to figure out how to get past that, to get past my own traditional way of writing and approaching a poem. And Martian, that, that title poem came out because I um, was really interested in in looking for language I had never used before. Mm-hmm. I was looking for words and and ways of expressing. Um, I needed a pool of language that was just sort of like new to me because um, I felt like maybe that would help me assemble something. Mm-hmm. And I was very interested in space travel and I was very interested in the language around around that because I hadn't ever used any of that, that material before. I had never... Uh, uh, ever spoken about, you know, space or, or never expressed aloud what was interesting to me about it. So I just spent a lot of time on NASA's website and the poem that I sort of found of, of couplets, I gradually over time erased it um, and keeping and maintaining the initial shape of it. I just sort of, just sort of, tried to figure out I wanted a poem to look like this and I wanted to push my language past what I was comfortable with and knew what to do and so in a lot of ways that title poem Martian to me assembled very much like a like a painting Mm. because it's it's me just sort of like dropping things onto a canvas that I wasn't sure what this was going to go where this was going to go or how this was going to turn out You know, it, it's it's like it, it's like the the movie version of Pollock. You know, when when <laughs> yeah. in that, in that film, just kind of like looks at the floor of this paint store, and there's this aha little weird huh moment that goes on in his face as he's processing this mess that he's looking at on the floor, and then just sort of like thinking about what that meant to him. Um, I, I just felt like the same way. It was just sort of like I'm looking at a poem and I'm looking at these language, these these words, and I'm trying to figure out how to say something I've never ever said before. Mm-hmm. And you know, and it was it was I guess like, kind of like a poem that was sewed together a word at a time, um, over time, just to just to motivate myself, just to push myself out of my comfort zone. Well, they're they're both beautiful poems, and it strikes me as you talk, and as I think about the imagery in both, they're both very visual poems, and lots of beautiful, you know, and really juicy images in both, you know, coming through, and uh, that you were inspired first in in the Queen Sophie poem by by a, a visual artist and and that painting, and yeah, playing yeah. with imagery in Martian. So I wonder if we could get you to read 
that or part of that, perhaps. Yeah, let's do it. Right. Um, this is uh, this is what I would refer to as the title track for the book. Mm. Um, this is uh, this is Martian. After terraforming your night skin into a constellation of succulents, what else is worth exploring? Tongue sensors scan new geophysical language, ultraviolet fingers in orbit spinning, rockets propelling sticky dream nipples through a necklace of star clusters. Your black gibbous moons indecisive waxing, waning to and fro, sleep chanting canticles of milk behind a firewall of denim. Chocolate meteorites of magnetite and silica, their solar nutmeg fusion, their viscous humidity, their orbital launch and vapor trail spreading nets of munitions across radiant fields of sweet air and bedspreads like any man at war. Your pulsar fountains sparkling applause and comets, every asteroid impact crater blasting open, a seed head of color. I succumb to zero gravity, my pressure modules splintering, hurtling from heaven. I am touch illiterate. I search for words in my own mouth, my sweet and sour lunar crater, despite its post-apocalyptic emptiness. What word best describes an appetite for exploration of the unknown? Don't say desire. Longing is a pornographic surname in certain galaxies, so how to read a map of black holes, how to guess the temperature of your nearest astronaut. Have you touched an alien life form today? You got me about to come is how I begin all my missions. You got me curious about what's out there and what flavor it assumes. I could live on your tang extract for eight days and name each molecule uniquely after jazz singers, insect species, Jupiter's moons. My mouth could revive you, tongue your keyboard of nerves, a soft valley of new life forms to restring your upright spinal base, psychedelic flowers to cultivate, weeping yeast for bread to bake, your eyelashes and lips bruise me from inside out. Find me sticky and fibrous, a moldy peach shattered by the kitchen floor. I am stone, I am mop, I am swarm of sugared water, a bee shopping the spires of the giant blue hyssop lactating sucrose. Do you know the origin for the word testimony? Back then, words were valued just that much. What makes it really strange is how easy its legend is to believe. A row of soldiers willing to exchange their balls if their words fall impotent. Please note, history's second choice in oathing after balls is Bible. Perhaps Adam's balls were filled with the word of God or honey or space dust. I only know Adam's first prayer was, it's not you, it's me. Was God surprised by Adam as appetizer, his saintly rivulets of butter, his crunchy mass of breath, dust, and carnal itch? He named each animal, but there's never been a proper name for free-range loneliness migrating head to toe. And what did Adam eat? After naming each animal, did he lick it, check its seasoning, 
Who will feed us if we can't name what we want on a plate? Fuck you, my first robo-waiter yelled. I'll need tabs of Viagra and an extension cord, I stage-whispered. Me, a quasar, light years from rapture, sitting in a spaceship as if awaiting to be accepted by an alien official. I had no Voyager discs to DJ or heartbeats to sample. Just this astronomer's pubic canopy, its rainforest of fresh and fruity antibiotics. Use me to keep warm like how you once used a campfire. You need dry, fine tinder and friction spinning and grinding to work the flame up the ladder until embers awaken their bright red eyes and weep smoke. There's been weeping, but no one has touched me and triggered fire. No touch at all except to shove my shoulder as they shower past blind. If I remain in people's way, I should be touched again. Even if touch rhymes with choke or punch or shove, it's still touch. I see sex as a kind of conversation with various sticking points. My past lovers have been mutes with mouths full of mirrors or judges who gavel on over guilt and sentences. How might you describe your first love? Clumsy or clever? Stupid or selfish? Or sad, sad, sad? The sun was first described as an erupting volcano falling from the sky, magmatic, hot to see, inflamed, brilliant, cast gold, luminous, and swelling upon its approach, darkness parting in star-crested waves. The sun itself described the flavor of darkness, how one might explain skin first tasted, skin not your own, foreign and savory, its seasoned cells sweating oyster water. Swallowed flames reheat the body's forgotten science and wasted fertility. Now close the cargo doors of the shuttle. My engine begins firing and deorbit burn. Such complex algebra just to land in welcoming arms. I emerge from your shadow dumb as an eclipse, but at least relieved. The world has remained the same. It is me made glossy with newness and unanswerable questions. My life, untouched, unloved, undercover? No, alive and throbbing and alone. That's an incredible poem. And, and what, what a great use of all those, that imagery and, and uh, coming back to earth to that affirmation. Wow. Wow, thank you. Thank you for that very much. Yeah, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed reading that and sort of contending with all those those images and those thoughts and that feeling that we all have at some point or another of like being alone. And, and, and your writing is really such a powerful, um, in some ways, it feels like, maybe, and, you know, t talk to me a little bit about this and then we can wrap things up just, to, you know, the the sort of isolation of the creative act in and of itself that you know you're working through these things and creating these revelations but you know you're 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 there you know from the go processing this pretty much alone yeah it's it's kind of awful and frustrating you know in a lot of ways mm. it's almost why am i 
why am I doing this? Or, or, you know, what is going on with this? But then even in asking that question, it, it it's like the obvious answer is, um, I am not completely in control of what gets created or when, um, I am, a a channel antenna and listener for something that is higher and greater and bigger than I am. And it seems to di dictate, you know, the stories that, um, that get pushed through me, the stories that I get to feel and, and the stories that I get to, um, to, to babysit and work on, yeah. um, point of fact, my first day when I came back from work, for the very last time before the uh, stay-at-home order, um, I I I felt like something was about to happen to me. You know, I, I felt like there was something I there was something within me that that was about to emerge that I did not fully understand or or know. It's it's I say that to say you know, there's this sensation you get a, a little bit before you realize you're about to sneeze mm. or a little bit before you realize maybe you should go to the restroom. There's this, this weight of something within you that you actually acknowledge is forthcoming, even though you're not really clear what that damn thing is. And I really felt that unlocking my door for that last time and what happened you know, to be honest, after a, after a couple of weeks of truly laying in bed, um, you know, wa not watching the news, I should say, watching BoJack Horseman, to be honest with you, um, is, is I began to process um, the sort of loss of, of major friends. Mm. I guess maybe that's what I was feeling. I, I guess I was feeling um, this awesome weight of that I had not taken care of myself up until this point to be able to prepare to be alone for all this time that all that I really had was these memories of of friends that I had lost or had or friends who had given up on me or friends who I'd really loved and honored who I had not figured out how to keep as friends and I invariably when I did get back up on my kitchen table to write a lot of what came out is in the back half of Martian. You know, it's a lot of those poems were what was waiting within me to process the sort of feeling that I was having about, about, you know, uh, about being like an only child and wishing I could be a better child to my father who I, you know, I felt kind of ignored, me. you know, uh, wishing I could be like a better friend and wishing I could be like someone that did have like a bigger community around me and just sort of like looking at maybe how I squandered friendships, how I squandered my time and, and just maybe who I, you know, really grew up into. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Somewhere in that is, 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 is the answer to something. Um, mm. <laughs> just ask me or, or I just figured, but, but it's, it's basically is, is me trying to say, I, I, I consider the, the work of writing and maybe even the work of poetry to be like this sacred sort of spiritual work where you really kind of get out of your way and allow your spirit to express itself about what it finds beautiful or attractive.
And, you know, and for some people that may be roses, um, for me, that happens to be my past and, and the sort of like greater that my heart uh, sometimes feel like it is, it is mm. pumping in the midst of. Um, and, and yeah, and it's like a lot of those poems, uh, especially from the back half of the book, came out of that, that great weight of feeling like, yeah, whatever this life is, whatever lessons I'm supposed to receive, um, I'm going to get those alone. Um, and, 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 and there must be some method, some way of validating and writing that out to make sure that I actually was not completely alone, that other people saw and felt the same way too. Um, and that I needed, and that as I taught or as I'd learned in the open mic scene, if you articulate something um, straight enough and well enough, people out there will absolutely resonate with the truth in that. And, and I felt like the most that I, the most that I could do, the only thing that I could do um, is just sit my ass down and be truthful as to what comes out and, and to watch it and to monitor it, and make sure that it's absolutely honest. Um, Cause otherwise I, I don't know what it is I'm, I'm doing with myself. Well, such a, uh, I mean, such a beautiful body of work. And, and secondly, kudos to you, James Cagney, as a storyteller, as a truth teller, and with the bravery and honesty to do all of that. And absolutely resonating, obviously, with people. Um, again, uh, we've been speaking with poet James Cagney, the author of the just-published um, Martian, The Saint of Loneliness, just out on Nomadic Press. Um, I guess it's nomadicpress.org. Check it out. Um, as well as um, previously, Black Steel Magnolias in the Hour of Chaos Theory, um, an incredible series of, of works. James, thank you so much for coming through and talking to us and reading from, from both of these books. Thank you for the kindness, Bob. I'm glad we finally were able to work this out. It yeah. was uh, it was an honor to get to sit with you for a while. Well, I, I thank you for going past the the hour as well. I know you have a very early work call in the morning. Um, but before we go, we still have we didn't drop in and play that great Nigerian funk band, the the, the funkies. But we'll we'll get to that. Um, oh right, on. but yeah, but that, you like a discovery during uh, during a pandemic somewhere along the way. It was I, like a because I've been such an uh, attracted to the bass as an instrument. They have a fabulous bass player. They do. What, what a great what a great band from back in the day. Um, but why do we we were talking uh, off mic a little bit earlier about um, before we started this really about the sort of paired tracks, Deadly Valentine, Charlotte Gainsbourg, and may also you know the brilliant Mary Lou Williams, um, incredible mm. pianist, incredible and and under under appreciated I think especially in the time of her life in the in the time she was playing you know except among the those that knew and fellow jazz artists um tell me a little bit about the the, how you how you chose and what you loved about the charlotte gainsbourg track both a evocation of a sort of a marriage vow in a way and and other things and and moving it and mary lou williams and then we'll go out on that and again thank you james cagney for being here with me I discovered that Charlotte track um, because it was a soundtrack to something. I, to be honest, I had never heard of it before, and somehow that fit absolutely into 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 what my brain really responds to as music. And I and I just couldn't get enough of it. 
And there was something that was puzzling in it to me as well, as much as it's, it's, as it's really just kind of like gorgeously assembled. And it's one of the few songs that uses auto-tune that I will ever stand for. Um, <laughs> and for kind of gets represent vibes. Um, but it's like, you know, as a poet and as a presenter, one of the things that fascinates me about that song is her phrasing. And it took me a really long time to to figure out and to listen to that and figure because there's something about how she chops up those lines and how she delivers and sings um, basically what is you know a, a you know a, the wedding vow in a way that is appropriate for her voice and it is in a way that was really puzzling to me for a long time listening to it. You know, because attempting to sing along with it, for example, um, to me was a was a challenge. Now, I'm not a singer, but, you know, to really enjoy that song is to just kind of like ride along with it. And she provides a really unique and strange ride because of how her breath works and because of how she phrases and breaks those lines. Mm -hmm. um, and that to me, and I feel like if I ever get trapped into, uh, you know, doing like a poetry workshop, I may have to use that song as an illustrator, as an illustrative of how end lines work and how breath works when you're writing poetry. Because how she does her version of that just absolutely is fascinating to me in a way. I don't understand how she got to that point and it just fascinates me. I, I, I don't know how to say it any better. It's, it's an extraordinary um, stroke of music for me and, and what she does with it is amazing. As well, um, Mary Lou Williams um, was, I mentioned to you earlier about, you know, um, uh, learning how to do poetry at the library. And I also learned a lot about jazz at the library um, at the same time, because um, I was educating myself because I realized you could actually check out all this music from the library. And so I started looking into jazz and looking into names that I'd heard of and had never really sat with any of their music. And oh, wow, I can do this for free here. Um, and Mary Lou was someone that came up in conversation with some other record or whatever. And that particular song, um, Praise the Lord, was extraordinary to me because it was very, very unexpected um, how that song is. Because it feels very funky, it feels very uh, jazzy, um, and as well, it is incredibly rooted in in uh, in spiritual in spiritual music and in the kind of like old school gospel music that I grew up in and participated in and and uh, heard live in church. But that song absolutely fascinates me because it is a it is very much a powerhouse when you listen to it. Uh, it's it's like a it's kind of like a song you could run to in a lot of ways. It's a it's a song that that really it's it's like a a, a soundscape as a vitamin in a way um, because it really lifts you in a in a in a spiritual way that's kind of incredible to me. And it does not truly to me sound like a gospel song. Um, some people that I tried to share that song with say that it's very very much uh, Pentecostal. It's very much a different sort of church sound than the church sound I was used to. But um, I'll tell you that uh, my aunt that I grew up with um, was, a, was a reverend and was a master um, um, a pianist. And 
she used to do gospel music that my mom said sounded like old blues records. Mm. You know, because she was such a master at the piano or whatever. And I imagine that my aunt sounded very, very much like Mary Lou Williams. Um, sounded very much like that. This sort of like gospel music that is crossing lines into something completely different. Well, both beautiful, uh, both beautiful tracks, and I thank you for providing an amazing playlist. I'm not sure we're going to get to Ween or to Alt J, but uh, but beautiful music. Um, James Cagney, thank you for coming through, reading poetry, suggesting music, going deep into your process. Again, we've been speaking to James Cagney, the author of Martian, The Saint of Loneliness, just out on Nomadic Press. James, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Bob. I hope you have a good work day's okay tomorrow and you get enough <laughs> sleep. <laughs> I'll be okay. Thank you for the opportunity. It was good to be up with you. Thank and this is Charlotte Gainsbourg's Deadly Valentine, Our Poet's Choice. And then, of course, the inimitable Mary Lou Williams.
Holy Spirit in nature one, with both the Father and the Son, shed forth thy grace within our breast, and dwell with us, already guest, by every power, by heart and tongue, by act and deed, thy praise be sung, inflamed with perfect love, each sense, that other souls may kindle them. In this most gracious Father here, through Christ thy equal Son, our prayer, who with the Holy Ghost and thee doth live and reign eternally. from heaven. Yeah. Praise him in the heights. Yeah. Praise him all you angels. Yeah. Praise him all you hope. Yeah. Praise him sun and moon. Yeah. Praise him all you yeah. shining stars. above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He gave them a duty which shall not pass away. of the earth and all people 
the princes, and all the judges of the earth, young men too, maidens, old men, and boys, praise the name of the Lord. For his name is Support for KXSF is provided by Rainbow Grocery, a worker-owned cooperative that has been serving San Francisco vegetarian food and providing a model for sustainable living since 1975. Rainbow is located at 1745 Folsom Street. Visit them online at rainbow.coop. KXSF would like to thank Rainbow Grocery for its continued support. Thank you, Rainbow Grocery, and thank you to our second Sunday poet, Mr. James Cagney, for coming through, reading from his new book, Martian, The Saint of Loneliness, just out on Nomadic Press, and as well, a really insightful, interesting interview, and another, and some readings from his first release, Black Steel Magnolias in the Hour of Chaos Theory. As I said to him, you couldn't get a better title. Uniting Dolly Parton, Public Enemy, uh, and Martin Lawrence of the MIT, the author of Chaos Theory. But all that being said, incredible work, incredible poetic work, incredible reader, as we heard. So uh, thanks to James for coming through again. We just heard his tracks, his, uh, his poet's playlist. The last two tracks, Charlotte Gainsbourg, uh, the first one, Deadly Valentine, the uh, release from the album Rest in 2017, and just most recently, uh, Mary Lou Williams, Praise the Lord, from Mary Lou Williams Presents the Black Christ of the Andes, uh, kind of an extended mass, as we were talking about, with that Pentecostal swing in honor, among others, of uh, Martin de Porras, the saint of the poor, who was a Peruvian, uh, Afro-Peruvian man living uh, in Peru. I forget the years. But in any event, uh, we heard the incredible Mary Lou Williams most recently. Praise the Lord. This is the instrumental version of that from, uh, from uh, the album Zoning, also worth your listen and your time. Cakes of stuff in the in the house, and uh, till midnight we went a little bit over, and I have to catch up with some spots and this and that. But there is also new music from the incredible poet, the incredible artist uh, out of Chicago, Jamila Woods, and uh, her legacy legacy release of uh, just a couple of years ago. 
was a favorite of mine, and I'm excited to hear some new music from her. This is Boundaries from Jamila Woods. We're not going to get to everything I promised to play, but we'll try some of that. This is Jamila Woods, Boundaries. Back to you in a minute.
And that was the brilliant Rachika Nayar, a uh, experimental uh, guitarist and electronic artist out of Brooklyn. Just coming to the Bay Area, in fact. Uh, uh, this Wednesday. Opening for electronic artist uh, Anna Roxanne, who... Uh, who used to be from SF, moved to New York, as many do, but not, not me. But Rachika and I are incredible artists opening up uh, at the Café du Nord, a 7.30 show. Actually, I think an 8 o'clock show, 7.30 doors. Uh, definitely worth checking out both artists, um, but get there early for Rachika and I are. And uh, I don't have tickets for that. Uh, again, before that, Jamila Woods, new music, the ba- the singles, uh, single boundaries, just out on Jag Jaguar. Amazing music. So let's give away some tickets. Why not? Since I have your attention, perhaps some of you out there, still, I have tickets for Tuesday, this f- the fifteenth, coming up, eight p.m. show at the Fox Theater in Oakland. The bands Foles and Inner Wave. Okay, that's number one. I'm going to give you a couple, and you can have your choice. The incredible Lyrics Born, an Oakland native, brilliant hip-hop artist. Lyrics Born, Thursday the 17th, 8 p.m. show, over there at the Independent. And one more friend of the station, and a personal friend, Maya, M-A-Y-Y-A, middle of the bill with Maita uh, headliner and Julian Never opening up at the bottom of the hill also on Thursday. So you have your choice. Lyrics Born on Thursday or Maya on Thursday at bottom of the hill. Lyrics Born at the Independent. And I also am offering you Foles and Inner Wave this Tuesday, 1115 415 648 7327. 415 648 7327. Nope. And I'm going to go, not to that, but to this. Let's go here. Uh, Here we go. No Jamila Woods tickets. Not coming yet, but again, Rachika and I are on Wednesday opening for Anna Roxana. Call me about lyrics born on Thursday. Call me about uh, about the foals at uh, the Fox or lyrics born at the Independent four one five six four eight seven three two seven. And uh, why don't I go? I'm just going to play some Sarathi Korwar and some Sarah Elizabeth Charles. Her new music. Uh, just out on Ropa Dope. Blank Canvas is the title track. Let's go with this. Thanks for tuning in. 
for in Japan. We know you're listening, enjoying all of KXSF's great music and programming that you can't find anywhere else on corporate radio or streaming service. But we need your financial support to keep San Francisco community on the air. Donate now to KXSF and become a part of our community by going to www.kxsf.fm and rescue real radio. Thanks for your support. Generous support of KXSF San Francisco Community Radio comes from Charles Neal Selections. Since 1998, San Francisco-based Charles Neal Selections has been an importer and distributor of fine wines and spirits for wholesalers, retail stores, and restaurants across 17 states. Learn more about Charles Neal's focus on imports from family-owned operations throughout France by visiting the website at charlesnealselections.com. Thanks for your support. Thank you, Charles Neal, and thank you. Thank you for tuning in to San Francisco Community Radio. KXSFLP San Francisco. It's midnight. Stay tuned to midnight till the 4 a.m. hour. Frequency uplift and out.